Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Today, we're talking about the Enneagram, which is a system for transformation that I have been low-grade obsessed with for about a decade. It's not central to the work I do with my clients, but I've used it to support myself and my own self-observation practice. So I wanted to bring on someone who could speak to it as an interpersonal tool who uses it in her work. Holly Kreps, who is our guest today, is a former client of mine and a founder of Circle Yoga Shala, an international accredited yoga therapist and a facilitator of the West Wisdom Enneagram. She's also an alumnus of Father Richard Rohr's three-year living school, a non-dual-based wisdom school in conjunction with his Center for Contemplation and Action in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Holly has facilitated Enneagram groups seeking an authentic relationship with self and others for the past 16 years. In her own words, I lead a full and content life resulting from fearless, sensitive living, and radical acceptance of what is. If a way of being has culminated or been reinforced by my engagement with yoga, the Enneagram, and other perennial teachings, it is that of surrender. Surrender to the divine and to what is happening in each moment, maintaining a felt connection to self, which is the opposite of getting lost in mechanical action as the basis for joy and peace in the midst of this beautiful play of Maya. Okay, so before we jump in with Holly, If you are already giving back in your business or you would like to be giving more, I'd also love to hear from you. I'm doing some research for a book and your contributions will help me know what would be most helpful to you as a community and even what tools that we may be able to create to support you. There's a link in the show notes to fill out a quick survey. It should only take you five minutes, maybe even less. And I am so, so grateful for your time. And also, if you feel ready to, I am wondering, have you signed the 2K for Change pledge yet? This is a pledge that states you are planning to give $2,000 back in 2024 from the overflow of your business. You can also learn more about this pledge at the link in the show notes. And I do hope you are going to join us because I'm really excited by this potential for our community, say 5,000 of us to agree to this pledge, which would mean $10 million going back to 
charity in 2024. So I'm going to jump now into my conversation with Holly about the Enneagram. And I hope that this is super helpful for you. Hi, Holly. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Paula. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you. You know, we talked to you before about your story and the work you do with horses and just so many things. And there was one thing that I really wanted to unpack more and didn't have time with you last time. So I wanted to bring you back on to talk about the Enneagram as a tool for self-evolution. And so maybe for people who are new to it, you could just talk about what it is. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back. I'm super grateful. And this is a topic that I love very much. And it's been a really serious influence in my life and my husband's and that of all of our teaching for well over, you know, 16 years. And what I will say for those who are coming on, 16 years later, I still realize how little I know. <laughs> it's so, it's so much like the yoga tradition or I think any other great teachings. About the time you think you understand something, you realize you don't. And it's not that you don't understand what you do, but there's more to it. It's like there's layers after layers after layers. And so this is something that seems to be uh, something I can mine, you know, uh, for a long time. And so we're really invested in that. So I guess I want to start with a disclaimer that I'm not an expert. Um, what I am is a person who's grappled with it for, you know, close to two decades. And still being um, awed by the profundity and the complexity of it and um, its usefulness. Yeah. So let's talk about like, what it is. So it's these nine types, right? right? And each one has a kind of friction within it. I mean, maybe you can break down a little bit more. Like, wh- where did it right. come from? What is it? How do we use it? Right. If it's okay, what I'd like to do is make a distinction between what the marketplace understanding is and what's, what's rampant in the consumer culture or, you know, the, the commonplace is what is called the Enneagram of personality. And it is being uh, perceived and used as um, a personality tool, much like the, you know, Myers Briggs or, you know, any other type of systems out there. I do want to talk about that. And that's, of course, what this podcast is about. But I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't say that it is so much more than that. And that's why, I mean, I'm not very interested in spending decades on my personality, frankly. (laughs) So that's not what's kept me hooked. What it is, is that it seems to be very old and ancient. And there's hard to get anybody to really agree on its actual origins, other than it has been traced back to... Uh, one of the Greek philosophers of, um, always butcher his name, so please forgive me, Pythagoras, and who, you know, was really a mathematician and was interested in sacred geometry. And it seems that some are saying that the symbol itself of the Enneagram, and so if anybody has seen the symbol, you know, those nine personality types are placed on a circle. And within the circle or that, you know, out it is a triangle. And then he came up with the symbol from working with triangles and octaves. When I think of octaves, I also think of like frequency, vibrational frequency, how to raise to a higher octave and using mathematics to do that. And so from there, you know, that goes a long ways. And I can't say much about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, no, that's good enough so that we understand it it comes from long ago and it's been iterated. it's, It's a mysterious wisdom teaching of how the cosmos works. And of course, Pythagoras was the first one, apparently, that coined 
that called the universe the cosmos. And there's two understandings of the cosmos. One means interconnectedness and harmonious. And so what is the universe? Interconnected and harmonious. And yet, that's not how many of us experience it. And so this process is how the, how things come into being itself, I guess. And then how is it that you can actually be with what's what the systems and processes that then materialize for there to be either you've got two options, change, you know, involution, automatic, habitual type patterns. Or evolution, which is raising an octave, moving to a new potential. We call that in our tradition that we study, and it's a narrative traditions, the work, you know, how to raise an octave, how to not be in mechanical and habitual behaviors is to do the work. And of course, what is that work? It's the work of self-inquiry. You know, we have all kinds of systems from the beginning of time that say, know thyself. So it has its roots there. So the symbol is, the Enneagram symbol has said that it's a symbol of all and everything. And so it maps processes. And how we got to personality, um, some are saying that that teaching somehow got to the Sufis and then that got to, you know, the mystery schools that are found often in Asia um, that border Russia and Tibet, you know, the Caucasus Mountains and those areas, that there's a gentleman, G.I. Gurdjieff, that participated in one of those mystery schools. Um, That mystery school is still trying to be found, from what I understand, some say. It was called the Brotherhood of the Bees, the Sarmoon Brotherhood, which is Brotherhood of the Bees, bees representing a certain kind of wisdom. Then our Gurdjieff brought it, you know, to the West through um, another person who was also there said that he was in the mystery school, which is um, Oscar Echazo. Um, Oscar Echazo brought it to the West, actually. And then Oscar Echazo met Claudio Naranjo. Naranjo was at Berkeley. Then you've got the group at Berkeley, which is Seekers After Truth, the SOT group, which is an inquiry group that applied a psychoanalytic tool to the process map, if you will, of the symbol. And the symbol is a way, is a symbol of the law of threes and sevens and how they're interconnected and harmonious. And then if you see it as a, as a system of processes, then it was like, well, here's a process of human beings. You know, you can put the process of plants on there. You can put the process of stars. You can put the process of, of uh, the workings of a kitchen. You know, here's the process of human beings. Now, what gets in the way of evolution? Um, what gets in the way of uh, rising up to another octave of full potentiality? What keeps us in a involution of mechanical, habitual, um, recurring behavior patterns that we think might be something new, but realize it's we're just changing the form, but the way inside of it's still the same. And then we find ourselves continuing to suffer and be on the repetitive loop of seeking happiness, suffering, happiness, suffering, you know, that kind of thing. So, so then we get the nine personality types. That was a really fast. <laughs> well, I wanted to say, like, just for people listening, I don't want them to get lost in all of the, you know, all the jargon and everything. Like, if this is very new to you, I just want to keep this simple because I, I had a period where I was really obsessed with the Enneagram as well. Because it wasn't just that it was a personality type. It's like, where do you habitually get stuck? So when you figure out what your number is, you kind of know what your strategy is for dealing with things that are uncomfortable, I guess you could say. 
So maybe you can talk about like, how did you find out your number? And how did that help you to kind of identify, oh, these are the strategies that I'm using. If you feel like talking about yourself, that would be great. (laughs) Or somebody you've worked with as an example. Yes, let's keep it simple. First, let's say it's ancient and old, and it's vast. And now, you know, we're getting into um, something that's just as important and not less complex, but something that we can all sink our teeth into, like tangible, which is us, (laughs) rather than concepts, right? (laughs) And so you have the nine, it's called nine personalities. I was taught that it's, we look at it as nine fixations. And if you think about what is a fixation, what what does fixation mean? You know, for something to be fixed, it's like it's, um, well, it's fixed. It doesn't change. In other ways to relate to fixation, entrenched like a scar, um, a cast. If you put a cast on your arm, you know, for whatever reason, a broken bone or what have you, you know, your arm's going to fix itself in that way. It will reshape and it becomes fixed. Now, the work of uh, repatterning it is pretty great. You know, if you don't do the work of repatterning, then you've got a bent arm. So what is personality? Um, and from how I was taught it is a fixation, something that is fixed. You know, that's kind of a um, an insult to one's ego. It says, I'm so unique, you know, and I'm changing all the time. Might we inquire into the truth of that? Because the forms might change, the geography might change, the playmates might change, the jobs, you get the picture. But the drive inside of all of that stays the same. Since the beginning of time, you know, Gurdjieff called it chief features. He never considered, you know, dealt with personalities or um, fixation. But the nine fixations or personality types, you know, really map all of the aspects of being human. So they're inside of all of us. And I think that's what's important. I also think that's what gets confusing when I have people come to us or come to me for first time and they've read a book or they've taken a test or whatever. They say, oh, I relate to all of them. I'm all the numbers. Yes. No. You know, yes, in that these are ways of being, you know, uh, coping tools, strategies, flavors, if you will. Um, all the different complexities that make up being a human being, uh, they're inside of all of us. But why I say no is when it comes to a stressful situation, when it comes to what is a unconscious knee-jerk trigger of survival, and let's put that, so that means somebody's threatening my life. It could be somebody, uh, you know, you sitting there feeling betrayed or sitting here feeling like a fool. You know, that goes to the survival (laughs) operating system. Um, It's a real offense. And so when stress happens, that's the easiest way to identify it. There's a strategy, there's an energy that there's a way that steals all the energy and drives the the trajectory. Reaction, right? It's like your first reaction. Right. And honestly, you know, after, I don't know, like I said, you know, over 16 years of observing myself, you know, using this as another tool for self-inquiry. What gets in the way of me experiencing what all of the great traditions say is that I am more than my, my, you know, my identification with who I think I am. And um, I come from, I studied several traditions, and one of them is 
Um, and I'm pretty open about this. I'm a 31 year recovering, you know, sober woman in our big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I love so much. There's only one place that it says what God wants for us, you know, and all the things that doesn't tell you what God is or who it is and what what's wanted other than one thing is God is certain that what we are and what is wanted for us is to experience ourselves as happy, joyous, and free. And we can find that in other traditions like the yoga tradition, Satchitananda, what are you beingness, right? Awareness that is intelligent, conscious, and love itself. It's the same thing, you know, happy, joyous, and free. What are we? What is the universe? So what gets in the way of me experiencing that? And the truth is, it's my fixation. Uh, most people think, and I did this for a long time, you know, what gets in the way of that is I don't like my job. What gets in the way of that is my partner. What gets in the way of that is my financial situation, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is, my boss, my kids, the list is, you know, endless. But what gets in the way of that is me believing something that's not true. And so I'm a, you know, when fixation, I want to be really careful with my language. When fixation is running the show, meaning unconsciousness, mechanicalness, unaware of myself, status quo, which I don't make wrong, by the way. I don't think it's wrong. It's just not whole and complete and always useful. It is very efficient. It conserves energy at some times, but not always useful. So when fixation, when mechanicalness is present, I'm a counterphobic six. And so sixes is a head type. You have three types. You have um, on the symbol itself, it's broken up into groups of three. And you have gut, heart, and head. In guts, you know, the numbers are eight, nine, and one. And the heart is two, three, and four. And the head is five, six, and seven. In that eight, nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you have an empty point, and that's what makes up the triangles. And so the triangles, the core points, the empty points are nine, three, and six. And I'm in the six. And so from a, from, let me just start at one place to answer your question, like, how does it work? When sickness is running the show, um, fear, you know, that's, that's the, you know, one of the ways in which the flavors, the spices of the head types is fear. How I deal with fear is acquiring information. I need to know more. I must know more. When I'm not in a situation of, I think I'm, you know, where I'm being afraid and I need to find out more and it's just an unconscious, nebulous, benign kind of thing. Uh, you ask me how it's going and I go, I, you know, I don't know. What do you need? I, I, I don't know. It's doubt. It's always questioning before getting on this, especially being tired. I told you I was, had an epic day with flat tires, you know, traveling yesterday and all that. And so I kind of woke up this morning and tired and. And it's like, well, I don't know anything. I can't, I'm not ready for this podcast. What am I going to say? And, you know, and then it's like, oh, I need to, I need to acquire more information. Well, let me get all, all my books. Let me get all, all my PowerPoints. Let me get, let me listen to one of my lectures. Let me, and that's just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And it wastes energy in that regard, you know, and that's kind of can happen all the time. And then you complete something, then you go, what happened? Was I there? 
why did I say that? Like, what was running that, what was running that show? And then literally like a show, it's like, who was that? You know, it's a character. And then you think, wow, wow. Well, I'm glad I'm back, but I sure wish I was present then. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I love hearing how you're talking about, you know, your own number and how you, how it shows up for you. You know, for me, like I remember I had Helen Palmer's book, which is great book for starting out. Like if you're going to get a book, this one simply explains each of the numbers. And my experience was I read the one and I was like, Oh, I could be that. I read the two and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm horrified. Like that's me. And then I read through the rest of them and I was like, well, I could see how I could be that, but I had already identified through like the horrification of like seeing myself, you know, in my own strategies, you know, it was like I had been seen, you know, and I think it's that, it's that feeling of like, Ooh, yeah, that's my strategy that I use, you know, that's really brilliant. That says a lot about, I'm going to just go ahead and assume and project and say that that says a lot about the fact that how much personal inquiry work you've already done because most people, when they find, when they come to the part that re, that repulses them, they go, there's no way on that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I usually ask when people are, I'm working with people, just my own little thing. I'll say, is there anything that stuck out that really repulsed you? And I don't tell them why, Yeah, but that's really good data. It's really good food for me in the assessment and working with, with someone because that's that's usually pretty that's either home or it's like really close in the, really <laughs> close it's the, you know it's like being in your neighbor's bed mm-hmm. and the room looks the same it's very very close well let's also address this because i think this will come up with people is like can they be more than one number maybe you can just address that yeah right so but how does it show up because there's like some numbers that you can parade as like if you're really comfortable or if you're stressed right so or the the wings as well there's like a little flavor yeah and so that's why i said even the enneagram of fixation is so complex i mean it's a whole world that can just be unpacked like trying to split the atom it seems you know just dimensions after dimensions after dimensions but there's movements each fixated number has a movement. Riso and Hudson, you know, in one of their books, you know, the way they put it is there's a movement of integration and movement of disintegration. Um, going back to, you know, the process map and this as a process, as a spiritual path for evolution, for really knowing thyself is there's a, a movement towards involution and a movement towards evolution, um, either being stuck in the same ping pong uh, pattern or raising an octave. So for me, you know, it's pretty easy to identify six for me in the same way, because it kind of repulsed me because I, I present as somebody now I'll say how scared I am. I'll admit to you, right? So admitting to whoever's listening that inside me is terror. That just lives there all the time. There's just a base level of terror. Now <laughs> that sounds terrible. I don't believe it anymore. And it's not the dominant feeling, but it's, you know, but, but that's what I, that's the feeling that I'm constantly coming to myself to, to continue to let this body system, this digestion system, uh, process and transmute and eat when it arises, you know, because it's very old. So it was easy to identify, but it was hard to admit 
because I present like I'm not afraid. If you ask any of my friends or you ask people here at the Shala, you know, and that see what, how I move about and, and what I do and the risk that I take with, with everything, they'll say there's no way that she, that she is fearless. And so that's the presentation. So interesting, right? So somebody else it can't type someone else, really. You have to type yourself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the movements help too, because um, if like, say you think you know, a listener thinks they're a core point of six, right? They're a head type and it's the empty point of six, then you have to account for the movement of nine and three. And so when Eli Jackson Bear, and I think Helen and others have said, you know, and even we, so there's um, in stress, there's going to be a movement and then relaxation and harmony, there's going to be a movement. And it's, and they act like it's, you know, black and white <laughs> and it's very separate. I don't find anything that way. I think ever find everything like we try to separate apart is, and make it either orness, this and thatness, but we have to realize that everything's inside each other. And so it kind of blurs, but we'll act as though that that's true for now for a starting point. And when things are going well, then a clockwise movement for me is to nine. And the nine is a place of comfort. And so you'll know that I'm in nine because like I go to bed, I'm in bed and I put on like my candles, you know, (laughs) if I went on the farm, I still had my beautiful bathtub, I would be soaking. So it's a numbing out. It's a checking out. And my husband would say, what are you doing? You know, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm great. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> That's like an integration, so right? Like for me, I integrate at four and four is, you know, the kind of dramatic like sign of or dramatic type of this system, but I integrate there. So I feel actually it, I step into like my Leo-ness and where I'm out there talking about things and I'm showing up in my full self without caring what other people think, you know, which is what the two very much does care about. So like, and then the disintegration for me is at eight. So I feel resentment. This isn't going the way I want. And so I go into, okay, we're going to get this done. And it's this bossier kind of version of me. That's not always a healthy kind of leadership quality, but the eight could be, you know, a healthier leadership. So it's almost like, you know, where we integrate, we're kind of showing what's possible with that number in the best of cases, you know, and, and where we disintegrate, we're showing the the kind of lower qualities of that number. So maybe you can talk about like how we, we are one number, but we evolve within it. Here are the pitfalls. Can I, let me just go there. <laughs> so I want to discuss like, what are all the pitfalls and people come to this is one, they want to really quickly identify what they are so that they can get better at it. To me, that's not necessarily evolution. Is it better? (laughs) Sure. If your deal is anger and it's always fast moving against and it feels like you're a blowtorch (laughs) and you're just throwing gasoline everywhere you go, you know, all that and you begin to soften all of that. Is that better? Absolutely. So, I, you know, so development is good, but in all honesty, I don't want to get better at my personality. I really don't. I want to see through it. I want to see, I want to see it for what it is, which is, which is how I cannot help but feel in the way I present and also what covers over that which I am. Because when I touch that, I don't act the same way. There's a, it's freer. So I think it's good to get, you know, to develop your personality. It's like developing the ego. 
you know, you need a really healthy ego before you begin to see through it for all of its falsity, for the illusion that it is. And so since people want to get very quickly, I want to know who I am so I can get better at it. Or maybe it's so that you can catch yourself in these moments where you're fixating, right? See, that's so different. like the, the evolution is I'm catching myself more often. It takes less time mm-hmm. to dial it back in or to find yeah. a different strategy. <laughs> right. Catching yourself is very different than working on that. It's catching it and allowing it to be. And there's a removal. There's a, there's a stance, movement stance into more of a witness stance. There it is again. Oh, there it is again. You know, and the evolution then would be, yes, catching yourself to be able to have enough intelligence to pause and to hold it within and to really fully come to yourself. Not needing to change anything, not needing to strategize, not needing to to then begin to speak a certain way to my husband to get the outcome that I want, you know, because the strategy is still there. Maybe I changed my tone of voice and that's better, but the manipulation is still underneath that. How about I just come to myself and just go, there it is again. And I just stay with that and then meet it for what's underneath that. And then keep meeting it for what's underneath that. And if I really have the time, just good to take time for this to come back to is what's underneath that. And every time at some point I get to where it originated in me, which was my childhood, those formative years of how it is that I need to feel in control in an environment that was chaos that had alcoholism in it. And I'm not making my parents wrong. They're brilliant and beautiful and one's deceased. And I'm not trying to disrespect that. But even with the best parents, you know, they're doing the best with what they had, with what they were given. And so compassion is necessary without also negating the consequences. But, you know, we're all in different home environments with, with humans doing the best they can with their coping strategies. And there was a point in those formative years where they call it like the adjustment period where the universe was my body. I was the universe and I was not separate from anything. And then all of a sudden there's like that schism, there's that scar, there's that fracture of feeling of separation and not feeling safe or not feeling loved, not feeling autonomous that, wait a minute, there's that the personality is beginning to form. The, the ego structure is beginning to form. And for me, where did my fear come from? And also is what makes it made it hard for me with my sickness to really see, accept how much suffering I caused. Because one of the things that comes with being a six is, you know, some say psychics and intuitives. I, I don't, I don't, you know, not a channel and all that, but, you know, but for some reason, I seem to always kind of know what's happening without anything being spoken. And from my childhood, I was always needing to like pull the curtain back, see behind the curtain, like the, like the Wizard of Oz, to be able to read what was actually happening because the posturing cannot be, the words cannot be trusted because they were one thing one day and you got this result near the, the same thing the next day, but it was this result. And so that chaotic environment where you don't know there's nothing stable really there's no a stable foundation and it also feels threatening and was threatening then you get really good at reading behind the scenes 
and knowing more than what's actually being revealed, which makes us seem psychic, you know, but just really good at reading energies and posture in what is not being said. I don't really listen to what people are saying and what they're doing. It's all unconscious. I'm, I'm reading and hearing everything else. And so in some ways that makes me really productive. It's like a superpower, you know, it's like like a, it's, it is. And it also causes great suffering at the same time. Yeah. So it sounds like the fixation, like any number we can have success or we can get fixated and, and have troubles from that fixation happening. It's really about the self-observation. It's about being able to see through it. That's where we kind of reclaim our power around it. Is that right? Not at trying to get better at it, but seeing through it is a really beautiful, easy clarification there or summation. This fixation, the personality is how I cannot help but feel myself. There's no shortage of life circumstances reinforcing it, but it is what also skews reality and limits, limits potential and limits relationships and keeps things really confined and contained in a small box of of variables because the ego itself wants to know and it doesn't really want to know the bigger questions of, you know, that we're all like, who are, who am I, you know, other than that? Who am I without that? Um, it wants to know how to be able to keep that. And so the operating system, its job is to, as soon as it, you know, you, you have an experience and you like it, then it filters that and, right. And then it begins to go, Oh, that's good. Let's have more of that. No, that's bad. Let's avoid all of that. Oh, you you know, you can do sun salutations. Now let's get that really familiar so that you don't have to think about it. You can be mechanical in that. Think that you're getting somewhere all the while. Maybe not. It's what gets in the way of opening to me the profundity of what actually is always already happening, reality itself. And I just experience a very limited reality when I'm fixated. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean... So, you know, I like to talk about business being a spiritual practice. And so using tools like this for me have been helpful to to identify those places we get stuck. And then business actually kind of accelerates the karmas coming to the surface because, you know, we can all just sit in a cave and meditate and, and we'll deal with a certain level of things. But once we get in relationship and we're dealing with money, those things become amplified in my experience. So how has knowing your your Enneagram number helped you to be successful in your business or to like make those decisions that everyone thinks everything's okay with Holly? Like, how did it allow you to get to that place? Because as an entrepreneur, you do, you have to make really bold decisions sometimes. Thanks for the question. So when stress is occurring, like there's financial crisis, you know, there's output that wasn't expected. um, There's loss of you know, teachers, whatever the situation is, you know, instability seems to be on the horizon. You know, my movement is to three and the three is the producer um, in a very simple way, not to, you know, oversimplify any of these, these points, but it's going to get busy. And it seems like, oh yeah, that's a really good thing. And so there's times in being a yoga teacher and um, a teacher of 
you know, meditation and, you know, that being the way we support ourselves, you know, uh, sharing our lifestyle with others. It's not like having a car dealership or a, <laughs> a shoe store, you know, it's a lot of financial instability and mechanicalness would be, I need to get busy and I would just work all day. I'd get through teaching and I'd be working with private clients. Maybe we're training and we're traveling. And then I'm going to be on the computer at night, fixing the website and doing, you know, Back then, it was like we didn't have all the tools we have now. So it's like sending out another, you know, licking more stamps to put on the the card and creating more flyers and really busy and creating, creating, creating. I must create. And yes, I must create. But man, that really takes a lot of energy and it may not actually be the right time. So now understanding there's, okay, I look at things as they are. Okay, there's financial instability. Okay. Well, I get really simple. What can I do? But I really observe myself to sense that it's not coming from a perpetuated fear, that it's not coming from something really deep and mechanical and scary, that it's like I'm giving myself a chance to digest it and be with that and touch and make contact with the fact that everything and I do believe this, and I don't tell people to believe this. It is just an always an invitation and an inquiry to take on. It's a possibility, but I the possibility for me is I come to the reality realization that everything is exactly as it has to be. It can be. It is. How do I know that? Because it is, and it's not separate from all kinds of causes. Um, and we can map those in all kinds of different maps or processes and you know karma for me is a real thing there's no mistake that i'm here where i am it can't be under any other way because this is what's happening can i just be with that and feel that first can i really be with that and within that that opens me up to seeing more fully how did i get here what were the decisions what were the players and then even i can see the perfection of all of that Right? And it's just like this process of digesting and allowing and just being with so that I'm not in this judgment and blame and all these things that are mechanical and frantic and just really allowing it to pull me out, hoping to be uh, disentangling some of that karma, <laughs> not recycling it and continuing, but just kind of being with it saying, okay, and then allowing and waiting. What is the next right action? Hmm. You know, and sometimes it just is to go to bed. Or just to wait. You don't know. You have a nothing. <laughs> just to wait. And before I used to think that's procrastination. And when I was in the throes of my alcoholism, there was a lot of procrastination. Knowing the difference. And they they have a feeling. Procrastination is avoidance. And it's like a buffer or a distraction. And that's different than coming to this this place, what you're talking about is like waiting. That feels, it's filled. That waiting is not emptiness. When I really come to it, there's like this really vibrant feeling in that. It feels like potential, right? If I really come to that. So learning how to, to trust and come to and not be mechanical. And sometimes, yeah, it's like, okay, you need to get busy. And there's some actions to take here. It's not an either or, but first a coming to to know. So maybe talk a little bit about 
like what you would recommend for people who are just getting started with this, maybe talk about your course. Cause I think that's for people who are beginners. Like what, what does well, that help you do? What I, I'll say what I, we tell everybody, don't take a test, mm-hmm. stop the test. Because you'll game the test, (laughs) you'll game it, you know, self-deception and bias is a real thing, (laughs) especially when you're typing yourself. There's always a type that you want to be that you wish you could be, (laughs) of course. And so like trying to take, you know, from Ayurveda, taking a dosha test or something, you know, we're going to answer the way in which we want to see ourselves. And it's not that it's not true. It's just like, it's also filtered though, or kind of laid over. There's a veiling. And so it's not completely accurate. And I think that that's the biggest disservice we can do to ourselves because then that gets you like, oh, I'm that. Oh yeah, I know what I am. I'm that. My test says that. And then what happens is it becomes a new identification with all of the teachings that I'm, you know, spending my life with is saying, we don't need to negate who we are, but you, you might be mistaken about the fullness and the wholeness of that. And so now all of a sudden trying to get clear and disentangled and open to, you know, the moreness of who I am and what my potential and purpose is. Now I've just strengthened my identification. And so now and now that goes into justifications. Well, you know, I'm a five, so I have to retreat. Or I'm a three, so I have to do this. I'm, yeah. you know, and it becomes excuses and justifications. People do that with astrology too. It's like I'm this type, so I'm stuck here, you know. And and so the invitation is to be like, no, what what what, what does that mean as far as where you're going, rather than where you're been, or you know, you don't have to stay stuck in some container around it. It's, no, it's just showing you participate. Yeah, exactly. Get busy. Get like actively participate with that. What does that mean to me? You know, is that true? Yes. No. <laughs> Both. You know. And now what? Now what? And now like, what? Here we are. Sure. Now what? <laughs> what I say is don't take a test. So begin to observe yourself. And the best way to observe yourself is when you're stressed. Like when you feel compromised, like when you feel embarrassed, you feel like a fool, when somebody's disagreeing with you, when you have doubt, when you've got anxiety, whatever it is, when you're feeling stressed, observe yourself. And in that, instead of looking at the numbers, because we also go, oh, I'm perfectionism, loyalist, the, 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 the giver. Well, I'm all of those things. Yeah. You know, I'm in a life of service, but I'm not a two, Paula, right? Which means what's what's underpins my life of service is not the the inertia, the mechanicalness of what's driving the motivation of the two, and that's very different. And so people get hooked in the words, and then their filters and the relationships with words, and it just becomes just you know an endless, endless search. And I consider. I don't know. There's, you can be more elegant in your inquiry. I say break it down and get back to threeness, head, heart, and gut. The guts in general are angry, you know, whether it's outward, inward, or lack thereof, you know, the absence of. And then your hearts, uh, no offense to anybody. We have to put it in kind of their pathological versions. It's like hysteria. It's hysteric. It's feeling. But, you know, it's often said that the the 
heart triad is really very much about feeling they have, that they have everybody else's. They don't really have their own. They have everybody else's. But it's more of the emotional. And then you have the heads, which are, you know, fear. And it's important to understand fears underneath everything. Fears underneath all of it. But now we're fear of fear. <laughs> and fear is the fear of being you know, the anger and the fear of the emotion. And so in stress, I just feel really compromised. All of a sudden, I'm just in this like, what happens? Can I feel it? Can I hear it? Can I see it? Can I taste it? You know, and that's kind of where you can get into your your Ayurvedic assessments. You know, they, they just keep mapping. There's all these wonderful maps that that parallel each other. Is it hot? Is it rough? Is it dry? Is it wet? Is it smooth? You know, um, is it stutter, stuttering? Is it information? Is it emotion? And you say, well, anger is emotion. It's not the same. This hysterical <gasps> feeling rather than anger that quickly moves against, you know, the, the gut triad, they move um, against your heart triad moves towards and your head triad moves away. So you simplify and you get to something simpler. My first reaction, wow, that was, you know, I can see it in that person. That was angry or that was a quick push against. And right. That's what that was. That was a quick helping and it felt really wet and it felt gooey. (laughs) Man, that was really dry and needing like there seems to be confusion. And just observe yourself. And can you identify what the intensity is from that place over and over and over. And then if there's a community, somebody you really trust, that you can say, can you tell me the truth? When I'm stressed, do I move against? Do I move away? Do I move toward? Is it, does it seem angry? Does it seem confused? You know, needing information, sorting, that kind of thing? Or is it kind of hysterical? emotional? What is it? And so it really takes, you know, other and, you know, all wisdom traditions involve a community. Why? Because we need a mirror because this is a blind spot. This was a strategy that formed in me many years ago to not feel what was being felt in that uh, moment where the child with no prefrontal development yet is trying to make sense of something that was very nonsensical and scary. So it's a blind spot and it's as difficult to see as your own eyeball. I'm curious. So like you work with other people, are you encouraging people who come to work for you to kind of do this work with you so that they understand? Because obviously you're not going to be like, okay, you're this type. So then (laughs) this is how we interact with each other. But is there like an invitation to use this as a tool? Well, also, that's thank you. I tell people, don't tell people what they are. You're doing somebody a really big disservice when you say, oh, I think you're a five. Um, what do you think I am? Oh, I see eight or whatever. Then it stops the inquiry. It stops the process of going in and observing to really know thyself and to see all the scaffolding and the layers, all the things that are interrupting and skewing reality that are keeping us in these perpetual cycles of suffering, happiness, suffering, joy, you know, those those types of things and just, you know, constant change and mechanicalness. You know, it's not that I've never told somebody, but it was like, <laughs> so it's not that I haven't ever aired, if you will. 
But do you suggest like your team members and stuff go on this journey? Like, do you give them a book to look at? Or do you tell them like, if you're open to this, we can... It's hard to be at the farm or be acquainted with the farm, the Shala, in any way and not do this work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because we're, in, we're entrenched in the work of self-observation and all the different lenses in which to be able to know thyself and see thyself and to see all the things that, that interfere and interface with the ego structure. And so that's from the yoga tradition and the Enneagram tradition and the self-observation traditions. You know, there's lots of different lenses. So it's hard to be here and not do that. What we don't do is push people. If somebody's not ready to start to, to demand that they do the work, but to demand somebody to do the work before they're, before they're ready developmentally is doing a, a real inservice, disservice. That's really harmful. People, there's no mistake about where people are. And if they come to it on their own proclivity naturally, then to guide, but never force or push um, because things will take care of themselves and trusting that, you know, it is what it is. Um, I do recommend, um, there's several, there's so many that I really love because of, you know, the yoga tradition, Eli Jackson Baird's book, Fixation to Freedom. Because that's where it really puts it in the context of this is not who you are. This is what gets in the way of experiencing the fullness of you. That which is what's here before you became an I. Right? That which was here before, 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 and will be here after. And so I really love his work because it's really hard to read Eli and to do the work with him. And uh, re-identify or strengthen identification, um, which can happen with a lot of the other other books. I do love Helen Palmer because she puts it in context and she gives you panels. Eli does that too, but it's always in re- you know workshop retreat settings. But gives you panels where you can really see, um, you know, six is all talking. One of the things you'll we've we've done self observation groups using Red Hawks. Uh, system of self-observation for inquiry in the lens of the fixation Enneagram for, you know, roughly about 14 plus years. And we would have groups that we would run that, you know, are private groups. We all trust each other. We all have the same aim. We're not afraid of each other. And we know we must speak the truth because we want everything for each other. Nothing from, I want nothing from you and everything for you, right? And you can't be afraid of of each other. And that's a that's a really beautiful wisdom community um, to do the work in. And it was fascinating when we first started doing that to see how all the threes they they flavor the same. All the sixes dress the same, the fours, right? The hairstyles, the clothing, the mannerisms, the speaking. And what's more important is the stories of formative years in things were different. The players, the forms were different. But what was underpinning it, the motivation and the strategy underpinning it was the same. And so, you know, we're not that unique. And um, that's real offense to an ego. And in the A tradition, we call it terminal uniqueness. <laughs> but as an alcoholic, terminally unique. 
Well, so I asked just to talk a little bit about your, if you could just talk a little bit about your course so that people who are just starting out, like they can understand how that may help them in this process. Yeah. So there's several opportunities to um, work with us in really simple ways. One is through our Kajabi uh, platform. We have an online course, which is an introduction to the Enneagram. And it's with my husband and myself. And so the first part of it are um, about 15 so really concise videos that you can go through that really maps every number. And not just from the surface lens of it, but, but really understanding motivation. And then it goes into understanding you know, the three centers, the nine numbers, the movements, because that's a wonderful way to be able to count. If you think you're four, you've got to be able to count for movements to one and, and one and two. If you're two, you got to count for four and eight. And so how to be able to start really honing in and getting clear on ways to observe yourself. So I said, best thing to do and start is start observing yourself. And then this starts giving you really precision you know, a precision lens in which to be able to start refining your observations. Um, from that, there's a section that is sitting with me where I go through discussing this, the pitfalls, um, what gets in the way, giving real personal examples, facilitating and leading meditations that help you be able to embody the centers and kind of start observing and sensing deeply um, to support your self-observation. And so really fabulous tools. And so we call it an intro because it, it is such a complex system, but it's a very complete, it's very complete and comprehensive, but very accessible. And you can get that on our website, which can be found on circleyogashala.com. And that can be started at any time. I'm going to be teaching a workshop, a one-day workshop. I think it's September 23rd. It's on uh, the Shala site, and also my personal site, which is hollycreps.com um, in St. Louis um, next month. I have a recovery tradition where I'm placing a recovery tradition in relationship to other wisdom teachings and the Enneagram as part of that. That's here at the Shala in November. And then I'm launching a 12-month uh, wisdom mentoring program in January. And the wisdom Enneagram is the third piece of that. Um, so it's called spiritual sobriety. In the first quarter, we get into really understanding the way the mind works, projection, biases, self-deception, and it's uh, really guided as far as how to observe and just collect data, just be a good scientist, because this is all very impersonal, but can be very offensive at the same time. <laughs> and so really start building a deep understanding of thyself. And that influences, you know, many different traditions. The second quarter, we go into self-observation and self-remembering from um, an online course that also we offer, which is the Red Hot Self-Remembering 13-Week Course. And we really unpack that and start getting more specific. Then we add the layer of the Enneagram as another lens. And then the fourth quarter is becoming present to present. So it's like, now what do I do? How do I integrate this? I know my, like I've uncovered, I disentangled, I've done so much deep work. Now, how, how do I go from here? Um, and so the whole last quarter is that. And in between that, there's two in-person retreats here. Cause as I said, to do real deep work, you need a community. And so in, you know, in the second quarter, You'll be coming here to do immersive in-person 
deep teachings, um, experiential exercises together, and holding that space for each other. Um, and then coming at the end to further integrate and digest and also to, just to celebrate um, and have some fun at the end. So it's, that's a 12-month program because what I've learned is for real transformation and not just change, it's slow and steady is the way. Everybody wants to run to the finish line. Well, there is no finish line. It's just, it's a slow, steady, gradual process of building a new foundation. But 12 months is not, is a very small amount of time to really affect the rest of your life and how you perceive and move about in the world. So that's in January. Well, thank you so much for connecting today to talk about the Enneagram. And I really hope this helps people to start that self-inquiry process, maybe using this tool to understand how they get fixated and, you know, start to break down those tendencies that the, of the directions they're going in. Because I find that it's very powerful work and it's essential for people who really want to be out there and, and sharing their work in the world. A lot of things we can get entangled in a lot of stories and things. So it's, it's very helpful to have these tools. So I really appreciate you coming. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be on here. I do hope, um, you just hope your listeners just have questions. Just very happy to feel free to reach out to me through the, through my site, Holly Crufts. Um, and I'll help any way that I can. I know in doing the work that you and I do, with working with people, it's really important to really um, have an understanding of um, what gets in the way of me perceiving really clearly um, so that I can have an honest response, an authentic relationship with my clients. Because if I'm not clear on what my strategies are, they will definitely be influencing how I'm approaching and addressing and responding to somebody when, um, and it may be the exact opposite is what's actually needed. And so if I can't know what gets in the way of me, then I don't really know how I can be fully of service to you. Well, thank you, Holly, for being here. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks, Paula. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode.